This is life. Listening and inspiring friends in entertainment. I used to practice a meditation technique from the ancient Orient called the Chichen Chong. Focusing life's principles with your goals. I've studied the herbal essence yeah. from Master Yoda myself. <laughs> and taking Empowerment Global with Empowerment Speaker Stone Staffer and Johnny Vaughn. What's up, what's up, what's up, friends, family, and fans? It's your boy Stone Stafford along with my main man. Quick, man, you see, you did it again. You're supposed to say my name this time because you said you were going to, but it's okay. I'm did I really? You did. You said I could say your name sometimes, and I was like, yeah, oh, I, I feel like I'm being introduced properly, but you know what? Whatever, man. I'm Johnny Vaughn. No, let's rewind it. <laughs> What's up, friends, family, and fans? This is your boy Stone Stafford with my ace my number one, my sidekick, my right-hand man, Johnny Vaughn. Wow. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, good to be here with y'all today. Yeah. Thank you very much. So we are actually the lucky dudes in the room. Absolutely. Every once in a while, God sees fit to say, you know what? I'm going to give you a little bit of taste of the best things in life. And so he has brought into our presence my good friend, the genius who is smarter than everyone else on this podcast. So we're pretty much just going to be listening. <laughs> My friend, Michelle Finneran-Dennity. What's up, Mickey? Mitch? Hello. I feel right, young again. We've known each other since the actual Stone Ages. Literally. <laughs> literally. Literally. All right. So let's get one thing out of the way so I don't embarrass myself too much. Because I call you Mitch sometimes, but most people call you Mickey. Or What do you prefer? Um, it's... Michelle, when I'm trying to be in grown-up land, but Mickey is my online handle when I first joined Facebook as a, you know, a, a, a hacker. It was Mickey Finn. So oh, I like it. All right. Worked. So we will start out with Michelle, so people can actually believe we're adults for a second, and then eventually um, we'll probably transform into <laughs> yeah, who knows what. <laughs> All right. So I want to tell you guys a little bit about my friend Michelle, and then Michelle, you can fill up any gaps or anything that I get wrong. Yeah, we stick with the Michelle. I, I can't even hear it from you. It was, you never ever called me Michelle. Even 30 years ago, you didn't call me Michelle. So you just oh, stick with what you know. Stick with Mitch. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so basically, well, who we have with us. So this, we're going to be talking a lot about data and how it uh, integrates in your daily life, in your career. We're even going to touch on entertainment and music because that's what we do. And so who better to bring on to talk about data than the queen of data herself? Now, um, Mitch, she goes all the way back to doggone. I'm trying to think the first time I knew you were really into this stuff, you were at Cisco? Mm, I think the first time I still was at Sun Microsystems. Sun Microsystems, kind of that's right. You were a chief privacy officer. Yeah. That's right, a CPO, a chief privacy officer. And um, I mean, she, so she's been the big wig at a lot of major corporations. And then eventually, after a little bit of a journeyman thing, I think you had an identity project, right? Which is like yeah. a podcast. We're going to let you tell us about that as well. And uh, eventually, so now she was with, or most recently company with, with Drumwave, which was a startup, yep. which also shows how brave you are. Because that's a, that's a big jump, to, especially in this climate right now, to go and head up a startup. So I think you were CEO over there. Is that right? That's correct. Absolutely. So look, guys, she's beauty. She's brains. She's all of that. There's a third B in there, but there are children listening. So we, <laughs> if, you don't, if you don't mind, can you please just elaborate for us a little bit exactly what it is that you do, your history and, and everything yeah. that you've done about data view? Yeah. So it, it, this actually kind of ties our stories together a little bit. The, my, uh, my mother was an intellectual property lawyer at a company, company that you've experienced but probably don't know. It's called Educational Testing Service or ETS. They deliver those wonderful SATs and and uh, Stone and I, uh, back in the dark ages, worked a summer job sorting out cassette tapes. Remember this? I do. They oh were my cassette gosh. tapes for what, foreign what's, language. What's a, cassette, what's a cassette tape? I'm sorry. What? <laughs> what? Don't All right, young sir. Don't even, he's, not that, he's not that young. Don't, don't even fall for it. <laughs> oh, I mean, it, and it was, it was that old and it was like real, you know, the little reel to reel thing. So um, we were sorting out those tapes. And, and the reason that's pertinent is, so my mom um, has sadly passed, but she was an intellectual property lawyer um, throughout her career. My dad is also barred in, in law, but he spent his career doing security architecture. So I swore um, that summer many, many moons ago that I was not going to be a lawyer and I definitely was not going to do technology. I, I went to undergraduate to study psych 
and I became a patent lawyer, <laughs> and then I got into high tech. So the good news is when you join all of these things together, so in college I was working with handicapped kids, teaching them science using a, a robotic arm, so they would pick up little beakers of things, nice. and I was there to look at the technology, you know, and, and, the, and teach the kids the science. And what I discovered really quickly is that the kids would hack the machines and they would figure out, and these are little kids and these are kids with profound disabilities, you know, paraplegics and quadriplegic children. And they would figure out how to make that machine reset to make as much noise and break as much stuff as possible. And it was this huge awakening that technology and humanity and art should not be separated. Agreed. And so that's really been the arc of my whole career is what do we own intellectual property, our creative genius on, you know, this podcast in particular, we talk about faith and you talk about humanity, you talk about art and you talk about success. All of these things I think are very interwoven and technology really should be our servant. It has become our master. And so oh, I think, Right? Yeah. It's like, so that's where my career kind of fits in is I sort of infiltrate these huge companies and say, remember ethics? Just because you can doesn't mean you should. You know, remember. Hey, preach. preach. <laughs> remember respect. So these concepts are not only important to us as human beings, but they're the things like those kids in those classrooms all those decades ago that, that bring us joy. Like, look at this technology. Like, I just met my new friend, John, and I can't wait to, like, share stories about my little friend. And, you know, Stone and I have been literally friends for <laughs> 30 years. At, at least. I at can't least. wait to receive these stories, Michelle. <laughs> well, I, there's, there's no, not a lot. Yeah, sure. Not not a lot. Lot. There's some good ones, though. I, I almost went on a date with him, and I didn't know. I was so stupid. He blew it. No, he, he screwed it up. I know he screwed it up. He probably didn't, <laughs> didn't set the alarm. What's so funny is I actually did. <laughs> You're actually 100% right. I Oh, my gosh. I've never been smooth with the ladies. <laughs> Too smooth. It was so smooth. I was like, yo, this is so sweet. What a nice gentleman. <laughs> right. Hence <laughs> the word little. <laughs> it's, it's, one thing, it's one thing to be in a friend zone. <laughs> and then you got the little zone. Oh, man. <laughs> like my little brother. I know. Are, are we talking about data? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Okay, good. So, so it sounds to me that... <laughs> Sorry, I took you way off track. <laughs> it's all good. I am jumping. You know you can tell I'm embarrassed because I'm sweaty. <laughs> oh, I'm like, I have like a tissue here. I'm sweaty, oh. that's why I got one. So, um, so it sounds like data obviously is a bit more than just, just facts and statistics, you know? Yeah. Um, it, and it's so in part, a part of our daily lives. It's, it's crazy. And, the one thing I do like about data is how it, it can eliminate uh, ambiguities, even on something as elementary as debates when you're, especially now when everyone's going back and forth, everything's politicized and stuff like that. You have a lot of people really just speaking off of the top of their heads and just out of opinion and things like that and feelings. And the beautiful thing that I like about data is that it eliminates all of that. You know, it almost makes any argument inarguable, if that's even a word. You know what I mean? So that's the beautiful thing about it. And, but of course, that's kind of, cheapening it really because data has become literally such a part of our life where honestly to the point the movie the matrix is is more real now than ever you know if you Absolutely. ask me you know what i mean Absolutely. so and the minority yeah. report you know talking about preventative right. rests right you know based on intentional behavior that and and this is so pertinent to and i don't know if you want to go in this direction but everything that's Whatever happening direction like, you want. Now, yeah. in this moment um, because you're absolutely right, Stone. It's data, if it's high quality, if it's handled with governance, if it's managed appropriately, can be the basis of mathematical conclusion. And, and it sounds so persuasive and good, except when you stack my idea of persuasion on top of another stack of data, on top of another stack of data, this is how it falls down. And, and I, I wish I had this study to cite for you. Um, 
It's a woman who studied police behavior in Oakland, California. So um, you can't live in Northern California and not like sell a child to like live in a garage. <laughs> you know, it's so freaking expensive out here. So people, um, people work and they work hard out here. We have communities right across from each other, literally like 20 miles from one another. And there's a study done on, on uh, criminal behavior and recidivism and drugs or whatever. And so the more, the longer the study went on based on data, the more they were finding young black men in possession of marijuana. And the more they looked, the more they found. And mm. so they were like, well, look at the data. Right. But here's the interesting thing. Across the Bay in Palo Alto, how many times did they look for drugs in the pockets of the very, very wealthy white young men? Never. Right. So they didn't look, they didn't find. And so when you looked at these two data statistics, it wasn't until you looked at the number N, the people in the study, that you recognized when you search 10,000 people and you find five, and you search zero people and you find zero, right. those data points are not equivalent. Right. And so that's where this gets tricky. And I think people, um, sadly, very, at a very young age, they lose, and this is where it comes back to art again, I think, they lose the, the magic of math. Because that's <laughs> math. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. fun if you think about it in, in terms of social justice and and art and music and octaves. Uh, but when you when you when you look at it as something frightening or manipulative, that's where we get into all these problems. And, and even businesses, when it comes to data flows, I, I never talk about data privacy as something that is pure risk, like diving into a big square, concrete square. Mm -hmm. That's risk. Do you fill that with water to mitigate the risk? Or do you want to go swimming on a hot afternoon in Georgia? Hmm. No, <laughs> that, hmm. that thing exists right. for pleasure. That thing exists for family gatherings, et cetera. The, the fact that you're not hitting your head on the bottom of the pool is not a risk mitigation. So if we think about data as like, like a liquid, if you will, and you think about how do we want our communities to flow. What is the answer we want to get out of this? Are we trying to gather data points to fill our human bias bucket? Or do we want to actually observe things? Do we want to see, you know, how quickly does a virus spread from person to person, 10 foot apart, 11 foot apart? I don't know where this magical six foot thing happened, but now it's right, like right. the law. Like if it's five feet, I'm law. <laughs> so, I think that's that's what's so fascinating to me is like you can't you can't take the the numbers out of life and you can't and and we have taken the life out of numbers and I think that's that's where I find the magic and that's where I find the innovation. I've got yeah, that's question. what Clarence Avant said. Uh, and John, I'm gonna let you go, but yeah, Clarence Avant, he's uh, he used to be the president of Motown and I mean, he's the connector guy. Like, there's matter of fact, there's a, a Netflix series called The Black Godfather. Highly recommend you watch it. But if you haven't, but yeah, he said that he said life is in the numbers. And it's absolutely true. Uh, go ahead, Johnny. Yep. What are we gonna say? Yeah, all right. We, we've got this huge quote that everybody likes to repeat in the urban music scene that uh, men lie, women lie, numbers don't lie. I've never subscribed to that. I work in an industry where metrics and data literally drives everything we do in the radio business. However, from our perspective and when we're driving sales, we cherry pick that data. Now, you said something about us losing the magic of numbers and not having sort of a mastery of it. I think it's kind of the opposite. I think we've, we've gotten it down to such a science that we know how to take that data that Stone says can make something inarguable and we can cherry pick it and bend it and manipulate it to that point now to where we can make the data say whatever we want. So going back to what you were saying earlier about that being an ethical thing, um, I, how do you feel about now? Is it more so because of our mastery of this data language that it's more so an ethical problem of how we use it because of the example you just gave as opposed to what are we targeting to collect this information because I think we've I think we've mastered how to gather data I don't think that's the challenge for us anymore it's just how we're deciding to use it at this point exactly and and so that's that you've nailed it Johnny it's it's it used to be in, in the early days of computing was will it work and and whoever made it work um, that's what you used. You know, word perfect was much better than word, but everybody sort of 
agreed and, and got marketed to and, and Word became the, the victory lap and that's what everybody uses now. In, in a similar way, we were looking at utility of like, what can you count? Or is there a black godfather that knows everybody? And now is that godfather now going to be LinkedIn rather than a human who's actually curating that with taste and, and ethics and whatever. So I, I, you're exactly spot on is you can gather all the data in the world and you can manipulate it and curate it in a way that is manipulative or you can curate it in a way that is transparent and you say, these are my assumptions going in. This is how I do this. And, and sometimes it's just cold, hard fact. Like, do you think that Kanye West is the best artist because he's wealthy? Or is there some kid coming up right now who's, you know, busting on the streets who is actually empirically more talented, but is not empirically anything because he's not being heard and, and right. sold and observed and, and he's not commercial. So it's, it, it's, this is why ethics, I think, are so important now. You've, you've nailed it because once you can do something, you have to ask, should. And I say that all the time, you know, just because you have the right doesn't make it right. <clears throat> and um, so <laughs> it's funny because going back to the whole ethics thing and what, Johnny, what you were just saying, because there is a, uh, and correct me, I'm going to say this a lot, Michelle, if I ever get anything wrong, but there is a huge, I guess, data collection company or aggregator, whatever, called, um, is a um, City Brain or something like that. You guys ever heard of it? <clears throat> It's called City Brain, but they is and people like uh, or companies like Alibaba and a lot of shopping sites and stuff. They use this company to to kind of collect all this data, and it's going to go back to the whole manipulation thing. And it, it really is a thin line because, on one hand, on the business side of things, of course, it would behoove me to want to know you know what you like, you know, look at the things you're clicking on, where your interests are and how you travel, all this kind of stuff, know as much about you so that I can now direct the right advertisement and right products to you. But technically, that's still manipulation to a degree because I also have the, a way of blocking certain things Absolutely. from getting to you as well. And, and obviously we do that, I mean, look at Trump campaign and Planned Parenthood were the two biggest spenders in advertising. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what they do. You know what I mean? And so, and that's where we got the whole collusion stuff because you have Russia now, literally like what Johnny said, manipulating that now, that system. Yep. To now kind of force you to start thinking this thing and, and, and hurt that hurt, that whole herd mentality and stuff like that. So it, it gets dangerous. So I think one of the best things we can probably do on this podcast is first make people aware of just how, of the dark side of it, but that it does exist. And just because that methodology and, methodology and the, and the potential is there it doesn't necessarily have to be used for evil so how do you use it for good you know and one of the quickest ways is like <laughs> even with artists and i'm laughing because it's it what you just said it makes it go so subjective because at that point you have to decide okay what's evil and what's good again in radio uh, yeah. you know, before everyone had on-demand streaming <laughs> spotify pandora sirius xm terrestrial was all you had the reason why we play the same songs over and over again is because one, whether it's payola Plagloda, which is illegal, but we have deals with certain people and certain records are going to get played, period. So we're telling the consumer what you like. And you may hate that song the first three or four times, but after you hear it 15 times, now you catch yourself humming it in the store. We've yeah. trained you to believe you like something that you dislike. So is that evil or is it good? We obviously profited off of it, but now you like it. So it, it becomes a real subjective thing at that point. I think that's why I started laughing because it right. starts to break it down like that. And it's like, how do you determine what's good and what's evil? Well, you know, I, and, and evil might be a strong word, but at the end of the day, my whole thing is the moment that you, and, and oh gosh, I, I'm leaving my notes because we're not even on my notes anymore. So. <laughs> yeah, and then just jump in anytime. So the moment that you, how can I say, take away my, not my ability, but the moment you take away my right to choose what I do, I think it can, it's defined as manipulative on the evil side of things. So you'll never take away my ability because at the end of the day, that's always my responsibility. I'm always accountable for what I'm able to do. However, you can do things where it takes away my right to do it for certain, you know, through, so I think when you, when you, when you cross over that threshold, that's to me when I define it as quote unquote 
evil, if you will, when you're manipulating someone knowingly and willingly, right, for something. But what the beautiful thing what I like about that is if you use it for good, per se, right, even in your career, it allows you, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Mitch, like, you can kind of predict the future. Absolutely. Even, if you will, right? Because humans are patternized. And so when you, when you start putting together certain patterns over a long period of time, you can now, you now raise your probabilities of me guessing what you're about to do next. And the reason why I want to speak to artists so much about this is there's so many tools out there. You guys hear me say Google all the time. And the reason why is, is part of my formula that I've used, the first E is educate. See, but we just mean, we just think of just educate as far as, as information is concerned. You know, what is copyright? What is music? What are split sheets? No, but educate is not just the what, but it's also the how and the why. And you have to really dig into this stuff. So when you, let's take something as simple as Google Analytics, for example, right? When, when you start using Google Analytics with your music, you know, now you're looking at where people are buying your music, who's buying it, the age demographic, and all this kind of stuff. But for some reason, artists don't want to do that, you know, and that's why we are having these kind of conversations because the people that use those tools at their disposal are the ones that put themselves in a better position to win. Absolutely. And, and, it's, it, and it, you're right, it's, it's a continuum of good and evil, right? So you think about any creative um, type of uh, endeavor. There are people who have written the same novel a thousand times and you'll see them at the airport and you can buy them, you know, remember airports, we used to go to these places and go other places. (laughs) (laughs) Back in ye old days. Ye old days. (laughs) But you know, it's, it's a formula and it's, and it's sometimes an enjoyable ones. And some of these authors that are, you know, these big commercial authors, they follow a formula, you know, Mm. head person on pavement, hot cop meets, you know, cranking woman, forensic scientist, and they have sex and and everyone solves the mystery somehow magically. Um, That was like a, a strange detour, but there you go. But it's, it's similar with music. I think is, is when there's a, there's a line between, Art, artistry and are you doing it as sort of a, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this on your podcast, sort of a self-masturbatory experience or are you doing this? Yes, I said that. Um, that was very, very you, classly done though. <laughs> um, baby face style. <laughs> or is it, is it a union? Like, right. are you just, is it a performance or is it a connection? What? Oh, co-masturbatory. That's what she's describing now. If you're doing it with someone. Yes. Is this parallel play or is there going to be some interaction at some point here? I'm just trying to soak it all up. I'm just trying to soak it all up. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now we can't get fluids involved here, Johnny. Come on. That might get a little messy. This is true. Keep it clean for the people. But you know what I'm saying? Like, so I I am not an artist. Um, Stone has experienced my singing. It's not great. Um, but I have written two textbooks and, and constantly my editor would say, who is this for? Why are you writing this book? Because it's not easy. I, I happen to have a copy right here. Nice. <laughs> nice. I will allow you to hold that up a little longer there, Mitch. <laughs> the but, privacy but, engineers manifesto. There you go. <laughs> Grab your copy today. That thing's thick too. That's we were talking about thick black things. You were as thick and black. It is thick and black. I, you know what? Since I missed out on it, I I've always gone back there. Um, sorry, Tosh. I love you and respect you. Oh! oh. <laughs> I'm not not her man. I love this podcast. That was my. <laughs> I, I tossed that one up and she slammed it. I shouldn't have threw that out of my bag. You alley-ooped like a mofo. <laughs> wow. so this is why we've been friends for so long. It is why we've been friends for so long. <laughs> but so back to like the, the point that I kind of can't even say point now. It's all bad. Uh, but the point that we're making is when you are an artist, whether you are writing a, a boring textbook that I understand is boring, right. um, but it has been downloaded over 500,000 times. Why? A, I made the study decision to offer it digitally for free because my motivation was twofold. One, I wanted as many people as possible to feel like having privacy as a principle of design was not 
impossible. We, I wrote it with my dad, who Stone has met, um, who's been in the computer industry forever. And we, we looked at all those basic engineering principles that everyone who is an engineer should know. And we, when we pinned our ideas on top of that, and there's even a poem in the book. So it is a little bit creative arts meets I like it. I like total, it. To, total dork land. Um, but, the, but I wanted it to get out to people who were in PR. I wanted it to be people who were in user design and graphics because this is not a problem. Like security and privacy are not going to get fixed for you. They will be fixed with you, taking responsibility over your data life. If you are an artist and you're putting things out into the world, you want to be very conscious of, and, and you know, I'm speaking way out of turn, so you can tell me when I go very wrong. No, but you're good. If you're giving out free things, be conscious of your free things that you're giving out. Absolutely. Right? And, yeah. and then other things you're putting behind a paywall. So this particular, our first book was absolutely free, A, because I wanted a lot of people in my very niche field to have quick access to it. And secondly, I was influencing people who were writing laws, people who were writing the, the GDPR in, in Europe, and people who I've done testimony on the, on, in front of the U.S. Senate on what should our laws look like next. I cannot buy them a gift of a book. It looks like a bribe. Some of us still don't bribe our public officials. Right. Some, some apparently do, yeah. but um, ethical people do not. Um, but if it was something that was free and available to everyone, I, I could leave behind a digital version of this work. So knowing who your audience is, knowing why you're delivering it, knowing that you know my, my royalties on this book are maybe a thousand bucks a year. I'm not, I'm not a like working, eating author, right. I, you know, I did get other paying gigs. If you know that about yourself as an artist, it's really important. And that's when, yes, you can predict what that consumer wants. But again, are you doing digital masturbation? Or are you having a relationship with your consumer and your consumer audience? And those are the, those are the people that, like, I feel like the Beatles loved me and I love the Beatles. Right, you know? right. They, they sung to me individually. Right. No, I, I mean, it's so funny now that even though the whole, you didn't call it digital masturbation at first. I forgot how you said it, but. I know it sounded a little classier then. It did, was, but. <laughs> Self-masturbatory is what she said. Right. Self-masturbatory. But after that whole explanation stuff, it, it really actually rings home, you know, because um, a lot of artists and entertainment, even actors, if you want, they really, it really is an ego thing. You know, it, like they like to say the fact that, oh, I'm releasing an EP, oh, I'm releasing a song, and they love that, you know, but how many times, you know, I say it all the time, I'm like, well, who are you releasing the song to? You know, you're, you're someone no one yeah. knows singing, you know, singing a song I'm no one Adele cares fan. about. I don't know if that's cheesy or if that's like makes me an old lady, but what? Adele, I love her voice. It, like, I feel like those songs are songs that I would have written when my heart was breaking. Right. Like, you know right. what I mean? It's not like someone saying, I am so good. Can you listen to this goodness that I'm doing right now? Exactly. And she might be. I don't know. Well, the but the thing exactly. about Adele is she collects a lot of data before she puts out a project. She puts herself in those situations and goes and gets broken up with and gets divorced and then comes back and writes something based on the collected data. So, that, Damn, I mean, I'm not going to plan. I've done all those things. I should do this singing you should. thing. All you got to do is get someone to put it together right. You know what I mean? Because everyone, but everyone goes through those love experiences. Everyone goes through those broken, my friends. Man, I'm a hot mess. I should be a commercial like whiz kid on this thing. We should talk. I actually should have you write down some some moments and stuff like that. So Stone we, can write we, the song. And we literally put it in a song. I love that. And I'm not even kidding. I'm not either, actually, I, because I actually feel like, um, and it's funny because I, I do, um, and I know that both of you spend your time doing things like this, mentoring and, and talking to other people. There was a woman today who's incredibly successful on, on Twitter, and somebody had like, they took the time to make a hate site about her, to try to discredit her. This is a woman with PhDs and all sorts of experience, whatever, and, and she was just feeling like, like the hate of that, right? Like the Someone taking the effort, and I just thought, you know, it, it was really lovely to see everyone kind of like dogpiling her with love because mm -hmm. she has given out so much, right? Um, but I think we've all been in that spot when it's right. like everyone on the outside says, "Wow, you've really made it," or "Wow, you've got it all figured out," and none of us do. I mean, that's and I think that's the beauty of 
everything yeah. we're talking about with art and with data and with life. I want to satisfy my customers, but I don't want to creep them out. Right. But you know, yeah. that, that goes back to the why of everything. Like, why are you doing data? Why are you putting it out? And to that young lady, the, the I think you said she was a psychologist or something like that on Twitter. Uh, cybersecurity. Cybersecurity. Yeah. So my whole thing is on the philosophical side of things. Like to me, and I've gotten my sh of, you know, people, I mean, it hasn't been, no one's created a whole page, you know what I mean? But well, I, I have one. Dude, no, but that's different. Yeah, it's in my closet. There's like news articles and Nice. Well, see, my, see, my thing is when, <laughs> the, when I do get comments back, um, and it usually has something to do with I'm saying something politically, um, I like it, one, because the very first thing is I have your attention. And then second, I have you thinking and talking about me. Like, that's, not, that's no small thing. Like, that's it right. might not be positive or negative, but you're spending your valuable life energy and time on me. Yeah. So first of all, thank you. <laughs> and then second... I go back to what it is that I said and the motivation behind what I'm saying. Because, and Johnny will tell you, though I'm not perfect, I try to do everything as altruistically and as loving as I can. Because I truly want whoever it is on the other side of my eyesight, I truly want you to be as good as you can or better than me. That, that's way, even if we end up yelling or arguing, it comes from just the fact that I'm frustrated because I know you can be great. So the fact that that's my motivation and it's rooted in love, love never fails. Like love always brings about a harvest. So even though you might be hating on me, I'm still sowing incorruptible seed in you that you're just not even aware of. And yep. it's going to take you listen to Johnny one day or listening to the identity podcast. Someday somebody's going to say something that's just the right water that watered the seed that I put in there a long time ago. So okay. I, don't, I really don't worry about that. And I, and I wish more people can kind of take that you know, to heart. And you just have to ask yourself, is anything you're saying about me right now? Is it accurate? No, it isn't. Oh, okay. Well, thanks for thinking about me. You know what I mean? So <laughs> exactly. that's just I my philosophical take. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm going to jump my two cents in here instead of just listening to the two Einsteins <laughs> on the thing. So let's talk about how, so Mitch, how do we, how can we use, since we're talking about data, 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 how do we use that? What's a smart way to use that to stay creative and relevant? Because things are changing so rapidly because of technology and stuff like that. You have people like myself. Well, not really like myself. Yeah, like myself. But anyway, the older you are, <laughs> right? Yeah, those of us of a certain age. Right. You, you, I don't want to say you have to fight for it, but really, like be, being relevant, staying creative and relevant becomes more and more of a very real thing uh, for you. So how do, how do we, how can we, what are some creative ways that we can kind of use data to help us stay ahead of the curve and stay relevant? Yeah, it's, it's such a good point. And I think it actually starts, I mean, it, you can start now if you're like us with a little bit of experience under your belt, you um, but, it, but it starts when you're quite young. Um, I think you have to make curiosity something that you're intentionally doing. So you have to sort of plan um, and, and it's the goal isn't to stay relevant. The goal is to just continue exploring and, and picking apart things on the edge. So if you see something that's like an anomaly and you think, I wonder what it would be like if I went in this direction mm -hmm. or, you know, in my world, I started in the law and I discovered applying legal principles, intellectual property principles, really got into very quickly philosophy and artistry and, and what's the edge of your creative work and my experience of that. And so I started to read biographies of artists and, and think about people like da Vinci and, and you know, people who are known as outliers in their field, because it's always it's, and this is my old podcast is called the Sigma Riders. So, you know, you've got a, a bell curve mm -hmm. and a Sigma is a standard deviation from the norm. Right. And what I used to tell my kids is like, everybody can like fold their pants and make their beds. They don't always do that, but they can. And they should. <laughs> they should. They should exactly. not. Such a waste of time. <laughs> but I digress. Yeah. Don't go into that with him. 
but it's true. But there's that's like that's the subset, and and so this for for people, artists, and and I think everyone has their own artistry, right? So if you're an accountant, your your art form is you know, bookkeeping and, and balance sheets and, and what the new tax laws or whatever. If you keep yourself to what is that original context, you're not going to grow. Mm-hmm. They follow a line, but the world is going to change around you. And so you're going to s- somehow run into this hill that's now moved in front of you and you don't have the skill set to, to work around it. So I think for me anyway, is intentionally setting time to either intentionally be creative. So I, I read all the time. I love all sorts of books. I try nonfiction. I, I hit a biography every now and again. I'll hit like crazy textbooks. I don't always get all the way through them. Um, right. But if it starts to be the same thing that I'm doing again and again, if I'm talking to the same people again and again and again, if I'm going to the same conferences again and again and again, it's really easy. And, and I'll give you an example that's sort of sliding into our conversation about leadership as well is um, I got to a point in my career where I was one of the first people in privacy. So it's easy to be a pioneer when you're one of the first ones in the room. Um, and, and there are certain conferences I can go to and they're like, oh, oh, it's Michelle. And it feels great. Right. Not going to lie. Right. Like they're like, oh, you've inspired me. I'm going to but uh, that's sort of, um, it's like fast food. You know, for me, when I now go into analytics conference and I talk to people who are like hardcore data scientists and stuff and how they render and communicate that information to me, I'm understanding maybe 10 to 15% of what's being said initially, but typically I'm making a connection in some place and and where I have an understanding or at least a curiosity, I follow that thread so that, you know, I've looked at things like um, Aristotle had a list of ethics for life that are still incredibly applicable to robotics and artificial intelligence and and, and so, and I'll give you another concept that's sort of related. Um, and it goes back to, to both creativity as, as well as um, leadership is uh, back in 2008, like it was like the last economic meltdown. And I was in working in the tech industry and there, there's not a lot of EQ there. <laughs> there's a lot of IQ, <laughs> not like, we are a special people, let's put it that way. And so other people would have to lay off um, people in their teams and they just couldn't handle it, they couldn't face it. And so they'd come to me and say, Michelle, can you help me lay off these people? Which is the worst thing in the world. And it's really not their fault. It really is an economic meltdown, but tell that to a guy who's going home to tell his family that, there's no more job. And in 2008, there was no jobs. So it wasn't like he was just going to hop on and, and we're in a similar place now. Right. What I was doing at the time was waiting until Friday. And then I would do this clump of horrible thing. And then I would go home and just be miserable to my family. And Mondays would come and I would physically feel ill. So I, I instituted something that's, again, for our younger ears, sorry, but it's the, it's the clinical term, asshole free Fridays. Mm-hmm. So since 2008, I have instituted asshole free Fridays. We call them AFFs um, because I know, sorry, Stone. No, it has an acronym <laughs> and everything. <laughs> yeah. And it sounds it, pretty it, official. <laughs> it's a movement. So it's, it's basically you can control your calendar. And so I want everybody, you know, whether you classify yourself as a creative person or whether you're a wonk or whatever on a Friday afternoon, the last meeting you should have, I mean, try to keep the assholes off your whole day on Friday. It, it will revolutionize your life. Um, but I always try to say, okay, here's my hour on Friday that I'm going to either try poetry. I'm going to, call up someone, you know, I've got Stanford University in Berkeley right in my backyard. I'll just call some rando professor and say, I've read something that you did. Will you have a coffee with me? I'll buy you a coffee. And you know what, nine times out of 10, they'll say yes, because they're excited about what they do. And then you will go home and you will feel like 
wow, I've, I've either made a friend or I've sort of made a fool of myself, but I did something brave or I've learned something new. I'm now curious about a whole world that people spend their whole lives studying that I never even heard of. And by Monday, you're going to be so excited to get back at it because now your head is, you're, you're thinking with an open slate and you've had those two days of rest and, and you've, instead of incubating all of that hard feeling, you've been incubating all of that lightness and that joy and, and why you're a human in the first place. And it sounds very hippy dippy trippy, but um, I, I told a women's group, uh, it's called the Executive Women's Forum, about my asshole free Friday rule. I wanna say like in 2010, I have had thousands and thousands and thousands of people come back and tell me about how they've changed their life. They started volunteering on Fridays. doesn't mean you don't work on a Friday. <laughs> Let me tell you something. When you, when you say it's a movement, I almost lost it. <laughs> I almost <laughs> lost it. <laughs> and I was like, yo, let's stay like, seriously, let me stay serious for <laughs> five minutes straight. Oh. That's not going to happen. But I like that. I like that concept. It, you know what? Try it out. And, and if you are a journaler, like sort of keep your sort of tabs on yourself for a while. And it's really interesting because, you know, and, and this is something I studied in college, actually, it's called self-efficacy. And, and it's, it's really the study of how the belief of the possible can actually have chemical influence on your mind. So when you Absolutely. believe in yourself, you actually generate more T cells, which help fight a disease and you lower your cortisol. And so when you have self-efficacy, often people that have really struggled with their self-esteem have never had any control. Like you read this Mary Trump book and it's, it's, it's almost enough for me to, churn up a little bit of pity almost. Um, but there's no control, you know? So when you take control over your calendar, even though you're still coming to work when you're supposed to work and you're still doing, and not everyone can do this. You know, if you're working in a fast food job, you're not like, hold it, no assholes today, it's Friday. Right. <laughs> you know, you're right. still gonna serve that burger to that asshole. Um, but you're, you're gonna do something in your calendar for yourself. You know, even if you are in a calendar that you can't control, um, as, as I was, you know, very white collar worker, I could control my calendar to an extent. Every, but it, it also became like a community. So it was very funny that, you know, every assistant I ever had who should be like, compensated in gold because I'm not an easy one to manage. Are you that asshole boss that you didn't like at your, is that you? No, I, I think I can tell you, like, I, I can actually, I can, when I come back, I'm going to bring one of my employees and they'll tell you, like, I'm such a wuss as a boss. Twist I'm some arms and say, say this about me. <laughs> say this about me. No, I, 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 I respect people who have skills that I do not. And uh, my, my most recent EA, her name is Olivia and she is a goddess. And every day I would just like lay on the floor in front of her and say, please goddess, whatever, whatever you wish. So she, she would sometimes, um, and she's the nicest person ever. Like she could like, you know, stab you in the heart with a grin and go, hey, how's this? Okay, thanks. Um, can you fill out this form? I loved that stabbing. Um, she, she would keep a list. Like she, she would actually um, be so sensitive to like how I was in the world after some of these confrontations and things. Um, and she would sometimes pull me aside and say, um, Michelle, how did your meeting with John go? And I'd say, yeah, it was okay. And she'd say, does he go on the list? And she would mean that she would intentionally not schedule with these people on Friday. On Fridays. Wow. Nice. <laughs> that's dope, actually. <laughs> so, I mean, I'd hate to be on that list, but that's dope. <laughs> well, so that's the other thing is like people would start to try to schedule meetings with me on Friday to see if they were on the list. That was like, well, you know, <laughs> about me that's why I say it's a movement and like at, at, at EWF so there's you know every woman uh, privacy and security officer like globally belong to this executive women's forum and so we've got people at Barclays Bank at 
Bank of America, you know, Oracle, Microsoft, they're all doing this asshole free Friday thing. That is good. Look at that. Yeah. So it's really. Have you trademarked this and are you monetized? Right. You started something like for real. (laughs) Yeah. You know what? I, I I have not, and I have not. I, I'm not good at, as I told you, I, I give away my book for free that took me over 20 years to conceive of. <laughs> so, but but it is, um, you know, like someone was actually starting to write a book about, she actually shared the concept with her team and she actually experimented with like jerk-free Friday or not, not it, it just doesn't, it's doesn't not the same ring. Yeah. Everyone knows in the English speaking world what an asshole is. And, right. You know. <laughs> that sounds like a book, like that actually literally could be a book. Yeah, because it really is. It's it, and it's about what we were actually talking about. Is like first of all, I'm keeping my own data. Like I'm keeping control over my time, which is the most precious commodity that we ignore. It's mm-hmm. all you got. Every single person who achieves great things had 24 hours to do it in. Like all these people that tell me, oh, I'm like, why do we greet each other with, oh, how are you doing? Oh, I'm so busy. I'm so busy. I, no. No one is any busier than anyone else. You had 24 hours. That's all we ever have. So take you, you taking conscious control over that time and understanding why it's precious. You're, you're starting to up your self-efficacy. Right. Think intentionally about who you're talking to and how long you're speaking with them and what is your intention in interacting with these people and how do they impact you as a person? That's more data. You're getting more data. And so when you talk about what we talked about at the beginning is, are we manipulating people by using data or are we ethically applying this data to help others? Right. How is it inspired? And, and you can't know how you're inspiring others if you aren't looking introspectively at yourself as a leader. Right. Because I, I guarantee you the minute you have any amount of money or any amount of power, that ego thing is addictive. Yeah. It's so nice to have your butt kissed everywhere you go. Ooh, I've had it. I show yeah. up in a hotel and my room is ready and there's wine in there. And oh, Mrs. Kennedy, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I must be. The shit. <laughs> well, they say money empowers an amplifier. So I mean, whoever you are, truly, it'll just amplify if, that. If you start to take that in and you start to feel like I earned it rather than I was gifted right. with it. Right then you start to not see the data anymore. Now you're starting to do that self-fulfilling prophecy of like, I just want toadies around me saying dumb things. And, and we've seen that if you, if you kind of take a, you know, a 50,000 view over your own timeline and yet how am I behaving? How am I being in the world? How much am I giving? Right. Can I ask you something personally about, cause you, you, you painted this, this real dope picture that kind of, sums up the whole principle about how to take this data and and move forward and progress and pick up where you are and keep going you talked about i call it being in a small pond and finding a big pond like when you go to those conventions Mm -hmm. and everybody's saying hey michelle you're so inspirational but then you go to the tech events and you're the small fish i've always found that straddling those two ponds does two things for me personally it gives me that dopamine thing that we need because yep. every once in a while you need somebody to worship you, but also having that level-headed checks and balances of being able, because you're still going to get something when you are that big fish in the small pond. Absolutely. Um, I always have a hard time explaining people how to effectively bridge those two things and use that as a balance effectively to pick up where they are and do the research and figure out what the, the small pond, because that's, that's from your work. Everything yes. you've already done is what built that up. Now, the new arena you're in that you don't grasp it, how do you bridge those two things while still living in both? That, that's what I've struggled to explain. And I don't know if you may be able to do it from more of a scientific perspective. Yeah. So think about it as, you know, if we're measuring, like, think about like a color bar of like red to blue. And if you think when you're in the red, um, you are receiving right? When you're in the blue, you're giving knowledge because you're the big fish in that pond. And so when I'm, when I'm in the blue and we're talking about the history of privacy, I can't even say I know privacy law anymore because it changes so quickly. People ask me about laws that have just been written that no one has read. And it's really fascinating to me because I look at them and I go, this hasn't been published. How could I possibly opine on this thing? But somehow you've got this magical thing, right? 
Um, so first of all, be cognizant that your blue might not be like dark purple blue. <laughs> it might be pale blue. Um, but when I'm in those environments, I'm very conscious of how much am I, like what is my purpose in being there? Sometimes I'm there because I'm being paid by a corporation to increase their brand recognition for doing this thing. Or sometimes I'm there intentionally selling a product or a service that does something related to what I do. Sometimes I'm there as an object and, and I don't love it, but I am a woman in tech, which is a very rare thing. So sometimes, and this annoys the hell out of me, I'm there because I have a vagina. Um, am I allowed to say the word vagina on the show? It's too late. It's I, out I, yeah, there now. The other things we've done, we're, we're, we're pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that always is like, yes, I'm a woman in tech and I've had an experience and it's not an easy one. Um, but it's something I was born doing. <laughs> so it's not like a skill set. Um, so, but that's what I'm giving to, you know, giving inspiration. Um, talking to other young women who may think that, you know, that the cruelty in the IT industry is too much for them to bear. So when you're in the blue zone and you are there as the big fish in the pond, your proportion of giving should be very high. You're, you know, and by giving you receive, right? So whenever I mentor someone, I, I get it back twofold some, somewhere along the lines. Yeah. But intentionally, like when I'm scheduling out that day, um, you're having those meetings you're building an extra time because you know people are going to approach you after your talk and they're going to want to have some time with you or they're going to want to tell you where they're at or they're going to ask for some advice. I build that in because I'm giving in the blue zone. Where I'm in the red zone, where I'm the stranger, I'm really absorbing from the big fish in that pond. And so I'm, I, I give wherever I can if they want it, but I know that I'm receiving in those circumstances. And so I think you're absolutely right because you – by straddling, you're able to continue to hone your own craft and be anchored in what you already have historically done. And then you go over here and you're, you're learning new things. What, what happens is you can't help but contaminate those other ponds. So the more I got into cybersecurity, I pulled that and yanked that and forced it back into the privacy world, which was all about human rights and policy. So when I first gave a presentation on what is cloud computing to the privacy community, they were all like writing things down. I wasn't an expert in cloud computing, but I was as expert as that blue group was. <laughs> like this is, I can at least show you who those smart people over are in the red room that you can connect with. Um, and, and so that's how I, I sort of see that as cross-populating these, these groups. And now there are people who are very, very technical who are full on in the privacy community, generating this privacy engineering um, kind of wave um, or trend. And there's other people from the policy world who are not as afraid of technology anymore. And they're saying, please stop telling me what I need to do. This technology should serve me. I'm tired of serving it. No, that's good. You said, um, gosh, I was trying to find ways to jump in, but I didn't want to because I wanted to listen. But you said a few things that I'm going to backtrack a little bit because when we started going down this path, we were talking about being creative and staying relevant. Um, and I know you said it wasn't necessarily about relevancy. Um, I'm not going to disagree. Uh, I just wanted to add another perspective of it because I think one of the ways I put it, one of the ways I put it were um, us being in our age group, if you will, like you said, we're experienced, right? But to me, what's the purpose of having that experience if you don't know how to apply it? And the application changes because technology has changed, right? Um, especially like in music, you know, we, you know, you may be a great engineer, but if you were an engineer pre-90s, you worked on analog. Right. You know, we're totally in the digital you world. Know what is. Yeah. Right. So you had the experience, you know, the 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 sensibility, the the ear, and all that kind of stuff of being an engineer, but if you can't apply that in the in the digital world, you're not relevant. Right. You know, so that's kind of where I was going with that. So um, you were touching on a lot of things. I kind of had like five little ideas on how to stay creative and relevant. That being one is just constantly staying on top of your craft or your your lane or whatever it is that you do, your vocation, because um, your experience will 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 serve you well. But you still have to be able to apply it in the current in the current setting. And so therefore, what you just said too, never stop learning. Right. Educating yourself is a lifelong process. 
Yeah. And because we live in such a technology driven world, that that's not even that's not even an option. Like you, you, you know what I mean? You can't just be like, well, maybe I'll learn about this. Uh, no. You, you mentees will teach you. Like the younger guys that you're bringing up with your wisdom about how to run a music business, they're going to teach you about what's trending in music and, and some of their tools and techniques that they love. My goal is that they don't. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, honestly, and, that, and honestly, to my point, like yeah. I want to be able to talk to an 18-year-old, 19-year-old, and he can't really out-talk me. Right. Because literally every day I am on this thing, like learning, like, okay, where are we right now with, with all the software and all the stuff, like, and all the distribution options. And so that's the goal. But to your point is absolutely correct. And one thing about that learning that people also have to remember too, is you're going to learn proactively, but you're also going to learn from that failure. Right. And we hear that all the time, but I, I don't even call it failure anymore. It was just another lesson option. Like it really is. So we can't close the door on that. And then another point was just reinventing and knowing how to repackage yourself. Because a lot of times when we think about reinventing ourselves, we think about starting over. And that's really not the case at all. You're just repackaging yourself. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean you're, you're coming from the beginning, but it's a new, improved version of you. Yeah. Right. So you're taking all your strengths and your skill sets. OK, now now I just have to find where do these things fit because they fit. Because there's nothing new under the sun. No one's reinventing the wheel. We're just making the wheel better. We're like BASF, right? You know, like a lot of things. We don't make a lot of the things we use. We just make them better. better. Right. So that's, that's really all you're doing is becoming a new and improved you. And of course, you can't do that without educating. And then the last thing, like I just kind of touched on a bit, is just focus on your strengths. You know, like and where do you fit in in this whole, this whole thing? So, oh, I have one more point too. Don't uh, see strengths, experience. Um, you were just talking about it. Oh, so being in the different rooms, I have a thing where I say, never dismiss the small talk, you know, and what do I mean by that? So I'm not a small talk guy. So if I'm standing in a grocery line or something, someone's like, Hey man, how you doing? I'm like, I'm really cool with, Hey, what's up? And I'm out, <laughs> you know, but then just like, uh, so what do you do? Or not even that, just like it's hot today, isn't it? I'm like, yep, pretty hot. You know, I'm just like, can we keep it moving? Yeah. And true story, though, I'm talking with this lady and, um, oh, I, I just got finished speaking actually at a big conference at, in Florida. Johnny actually used to do the sound down there. So it's a, it's a fairly large conference. And so I'm speaking and I'm done. And just like, you know, they come up to you when I ask you all these questions, this and that. So you kind of come up with your little package responses because you deal with it all the time. So there's one lady I decided on purpose. I said, let me engage, you know? So she was like, oh, I love what you're saying, this and that. I'm like, I appreciate it. I said, so why are you here? And in my mind, I'm like, oh, I done did it. Now I done, who knows what I'm about to get back. So she tells me about her daughter. So I ask about her daughter. I said, so what do you do? She goes, oh, I'm gonna stay at home all my life. I said, well, what does your husband do? Turns out he works for uh, Marriott. He's an executive at Marriott. I was like, oh, that's cool, this and that. So the more and more we're talking, I start talking about I'm traveling. I was like, maybe I ought to sign up for those rewards y'all talking about. She goes, oh, you should. I can totally hook you up with that and this and that. She goes, i tell you what, if you ever need anything, just let me know. Let me know where you're going. I'll make sure you get the best rate possible. I'll put you on a plan. So anyway, lo and behold, for the next couple of years when I traveled, <laughs> I yeah. probably paid like 40% of yeah. what the room rates were. You know what I mean? Being nice to someone. I, just being nice and just, and just having that small talk. And, and when you realize and just remember that life, at the end of the day, it is, we hear it all the time, but gosh, when do we get it? It's nothing but relationships, period, point blank, yeah. end of story. That you know? wasn't small talk for her. You asked her why she was here. It was for her daughter. There's nothing right. more important in my life than my daughters. Absolutely. So you've been giving me a kernel of inspiration for them. You've given me a bag of gold. I mean, that's just amazing. Shout out to Cheeks and <laughs> that's Thang her and daughter's Cheeks. nicknames. <laughs> yeah, Miss Thang and Sweet Cheeks. Miss Thang and Cheeks. So yeah, so those are kind of just four points I wanted to shoot out because you kept touching on like each one as you were talking. So the synergy was just there. Um, but uh, yeah, those are four things that you can do that I think people can do. And obviously using data, how does data fit in all that on a more practical, lower level for us that who aren't really running corporations? Um, yeah. <laughs> measuring stuff. Everyone has data. Thank you. Just measuring stuff. You know what I mean? And, and like I said before, how data can give you a peek into the future, like sit back for a moment and just say, where is all of this going? 
Yes. You know, and if you want to be successful in anything, find a freaking need. That's the bottom line. Right. Yeah. Be a you have to world do. and just say, why, 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 why? That's it. Is the moment you find that need, just, like literally, I had an idea that I'm going to, I'm going to put it out here just because I don't know if she's going to do it. I have no interest in doing it. But so our governor here in Georgia, Governor Kemp, so he uh, had this whole thing about mandating against masks and this and that. So I'm actually going to have my against cousin. Masks. Against. He was against. Oh yeah, against. Against the mandating of wearing masks. I'm going to have my cousin create, she makes masks. I'm going to have her screen print some with his face on it. I mean, I think they would sell. <laughs> I think they would sell. I think you're right. I think you're right. I don't know if I would want that on my mug. But... <laughs> <laughs> wow. So listen, oh, don't a lot of time. Yeah, it's been such a pleasure having you. Johnny, you have any closing, closing thoughts or anything you wanted to kind of say in as we wrap up? I'm not going to screw this up. No. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we've been wanting to do this for a long time. I'm so grateful to meet Johnny and to get to hang out with you, Stone. This is awesome. Yeah, man. We're definitely going to have you back for real, for real. Absolutely. So, real quick, can you tell our listeners where they can find you, like social media, podcasts, yeah, things like that? I, I am the most findable privacy person you know. My handle on Twitter is at mdenity, just like Kennedy with a D. I married a typo. Longer story. Um, you can also hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm everywhere. So come and find me. Come and have a chat. Um, if you're starting a young business, I'm doing advisory work on privacy engineering and, and data ethics companies. So hit me up. I'm helping people that are pre-seed get earliest funding all the way through C-stagers who are looking to sell themselves to big corps. So um, awesome. yeah, come and find me. And, we, and you know, my Twitter is never about just one thing like this conversation. It's everywhere everywhere <laughs> awesome well thanks again for being here with us and you guys listen i highly encourage you that you listen to this episode again um at least twice because there's a lot that was said in here and don't just think like okay i kind of know about that listen to it again and then second i guarantee you you know one two or three people that needs to hear a lot of the stuff that michelle was talking about so listen to it share it and you know where to be find me and johnny but most importantly you can find us on instagram at life on podcast we love y'all. We appreciate y'all. We're out of here before we get cut off. Peace.